Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, September 4th, day 7 of the 2022 U.S. Open, now officially in the books. What a Sunday of tennis. And of course, the headline coming off of the first day of fourth round action, your 2021 U.S. Open men's singles champ officially eliminated from the draw. World number one, Daniil Medvedev falling to a very much informed Nick Kyrgios. And for about 10 years now, all of us tennis fans have been wondering, what would a prime of Nick Kyrgios look like? Well, I think we finally have gotten that answer here in 2022. Kyrgios now 35-9 and overall on the season into a second singles quarterfinal at a major this year. Of course, he also captured the Australian Open doubles title earlier this season. Simply put, Nick Kyrgios is playing some exceptional tennis. And of course, on today's show, we want to talk about what allowed Kyrgios to advance over the world number one. Of course, that was just one of four extraordinary matches in the men's singles draw on day seven. Certainly the fact that none of the matches were decided in straight sets, that feels relevant as we look towards the back half of the year's final slam. Of course, on the women's side, it was a completely different script. You had four straight set matches in round number four on Sunday. A couple of contenders very much looking the part as well. Whether it was Coco Goff, her straight set victory over Jung Shui, she looked incredible. Whether it was Caroline Garcia, who continues to cruise through this 2022 U.S. Open draw, there are plenty of details, plenty of storylines for us to discuss on today's show. And for the first time at this U.S. Open, I've got a guest to help me break down all of the action. Of course, you know him as a returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets shows, a contributor to our website, CrackedRackets.com, a writer for the Action Network, writer for his last word on uh, tennis, writer for his All About Tennis blog as well. One of the best in the business. It's our friend, David Gertler. David, welcome back to the show, my friend. One week of U.S. Open action in the books. Our predictions may not look great, but it's been pretty good tennis, my friend. How are you feeling? Yeah, I knew as soon as Halep went down and Ryan Rubakina <laughs> went down and then Sam Sonovan went down last night and uh, Kazakina went down. I was like, oh, we did that all long podcast and it all blew up in our faces. But the tennis has been good. Um, I think that uh, that uh, Zhang Goff match yesterday was a lot, you know, a lot higher. You know, it was a lot better than maybe a straight set uh, scoreline even suggests. And uh, there was a lot to get, you know, in that first set of uh, Samsonovic, Tomjanovic, that was quite the uh, journey, too. Um, so, yeah, it was really good on both sides. I think that, uh, yeah, 
what about you know Nick Curios? Unbelievable that uh, he has been so focused. Even when, because before the tournament, he was saying how he wanted, he was ready to go back to Australia. So I thought there was a chance he would mail it in, but man, he has not done so. Well, there's a lot for me to follow up on what you just said. And because this is the first time I've had the opportunity to speak with someone on this show, I do want to look big picture at this slam for a moment. And a reminder to our listeners, David was kind enough to join me to help preview the women's draw. Let's start there. Certainly the narrative on the WTA tour and narratives are all artificial constructs. We decide what the narratives are by talking about them. But one of the narratives that I think is grounded in the most truth in the women's game. And by the way, shout out to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. They support this podcast, understand the necessity of having a daily show for tennis fans to have conversations like this, David. We've talked about the parody and the lack of consistency at the majors, in particular from the best players. And I do think big picture talk about a massive miss for Generation Sakari. Players like Maria Sakari and Annette Conteve, yeah. Belinda Bencic, Paula Bedosa, Daria Kasatkina, all these players age 24 to 27, who ostensibly should be in the primes of their career, right? Well, outside of the Kasatkina semifinal and, you know, uh, semifinal in Paris, you know, Kudermatova makes the quarterfinals there. And it is worth noting this generation lost their best player in Ashley Barty to retirement earlier this season. Yeah, like, nice. if she was still playing, it would paper over a lot of the flaws, we'll say, of this group. But I do think of all the majors we've seen, not only this year, but maybe the past five years, like, this one makes the most sense, David. Obviously, the Osaka four hardcourt slams, and she's another generation soccer player. She really should probably be called Generation Osaka. That came up a little bit short at this U.S. Open. But when I look at who's remaining in the bottom of the draw, Coco Goff, French Open finalist, Owen Jabour, Wimbledon finalist, Caroline Garcia, Cincinnati champion, Isla Tomjanovic, who is the outlier of the group, but I would point out has made two Wimbledon quarterfinals over the past two years and has at least been in the mix over the last three to five years or so. Bottom half of the draw makes sense. Obviously, day eight happening on Monday. Listeners will be hearing this podcast as it's playing out, but I think seven of the eight players on the top half of the draw, with all due respect to Julie Niemeyer, who's been exceptional at this event and was a Wimbledon quarterfinalist. You know, the other seven out of the eight players, Sviantek, Kvitova, Pagula, Azarenka, Pliskova, Collins, Sabalenka, they kind of all make sense as slam champions to me, David. And so I guess that's my question to you here is, has this U.S. Open been the first major, we talked about it being the most open major coming into this, and yet looking at the results, it's kind of made sense. Yeah, I would say, in a yes, when you look at the fact though that, like, for instance, Sabalenka was down 6-2, 5-2, double break to Kanepi, it doesn't necessarily make sense in terms of the fact that Kanepi couldn't get one hold, you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, to well, win that match and was, I would uh, point out, at, first of all, as a Sabalenka truther, six two five one. Come on, let's give her all yeah. the credit she deserves. True. But that doesn't that kind of make sense? Because in a in a in a bubble, 
Isn't that what Serena? Uh, Serena. Isn't that what Arena Sabalenka just kind of does? Yeah, I guess I. Yeah, true. Fair. Yeah, not to stop on your point. I'm just saying. But, no, yeah, I would say though, if you look at it pre-tournament to now, yeah, because you have Kvitova was in the Cincinnati final. Pagula is just such a. Uh, she's always going to be there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Carolina Pliskova has picked up her form in recent uh, weeks, and she played very well to beat Benchic. Semi-finalist um, in Canada. She's escaped with two third-set victories. You're absolutely right to beat Benchic the way she did and to keep getting that break back in the third set. And, you know, sem- yeah, semi-finalist in Canada. She's made now, I believe, at least the fourth round of the U.S. Open in six of the last seven years, which has to be the best on the WTA Tour, right? I can't imagine someone matching that. Like, uh, yeah, definitely. As Aranka's two years removed from making the U.S. Open freaking final, Danielle Collins made the Australian Open final earlier this season. Like, again, and and Nehemiah at 23 years old is kind of like, she's the flag, the standard bearer for like, well, don't forget there has to be one unexpected person still right. alive at this stage. But like, there's only one. The rest makes sense to me. Yeah, and her draw has been, you know. Ideal. Ideal. Um, yeah, although Junction wins a great win. I would say out of the players left, and this is maybe a little bit of a hot take. No, who, fire it at me. Okay. Who out of the players left, I think, well, I would say there's two players right now that I trust more than any other that are left. Um, I say one of them is Caroline Garcia because of just the fact, I mean, when I was watching her just rip through Bianca Andreescu, that was unbelievable, the level of tennis, especially in the beginning of the second set when Andrescu tried to raise her level and really tried to will herself back into it. Garcia just shut the door in her face. I thought that was really a telling sequence there. And then Danielle Collins, I think, has been the most pleasant surprise. She is just such a competitor. She is crushing the ball right now. Have you seen any of Collins yet? So I'm very happy you said both of these things, David. And we're going to get into Caroline Garcia a little bit later in this show. I will say this since you brought up the Andrescu match, and then we're going to save the rest on her for later. You are, I could not agree with you more. She was taking returns from the freaking service line, David, like in that Andrescu match. I've never, it was disrespectful. Like I have never seen anything like that where you are so confident as a player. And I apologize, super producer Daniel Westoff and any kids listening in the car, but she was literally like, F*** you, BB. Like, you think I'm scared of you? Absolutely not. That's the message that she sent with her return positioning. And you're right. Like, she didn't even serve well. And yet it was two, three and two or two and three, whatever it was. And you're right. Garcia breaks to start the second set. Andrescu gets the break back. And then Caroline Garcia puts up a middle finger and says, no, yeah. like this match is over. Let's be clear. Like, it's cute. Congrats. You got the break back. But this match is over. And you're right. She looks like an unequivocal contender. And I want to get into how she continued to look so today against Ali Risk. But to your point about Danielle Collins, I actually think it makes more sense that Nehemiah's in the fourth round than it does Danielle Collins. Like, I could not agree with you more. And it's good we're getting these agreements out of the way early because (laughs) Collins was unbelievable, David, against Alizé Cornet. Like, 
She had 50-plus winners and fewer than 30 unforced errors, and she played two total matches between the end of the French Open and the start of this U.S. Open. She didn't play Canada. She didn't play Cincinnati. And I swear to God, and I know this is one of those things, it's it's non-quantifiable, but looking at her face in that Cornet match and looking at her look at her box, even she was kind of like, holy shit, playing well. Like, I can't believe this is happening. And it was like, I agree. I, I can't believe it. This is out of nowhere. And what about in the first round, come back against Naomi Osaka? And Osaka didn't play poorly. She didn't play well, but she didn't play poorly. She played fine. And then, you know, in the second, um, her second match against Buxa, there was a moment when it went from 5-2 to 5-5 in the second set where a lot of players, we saw it with Samsonova yesterday or today, um, where they collapse when that happens. And she just... Two straight games. You you know what I'm talking about in the second yeah. set. It yeah. was two five. It was five two to five five, and she did not let that phase her. She immediately got her got right back in over the finish line. So I just I'm really impressed with her mentality because she's not scared of anyone. She is not scared of the moment. She's not scared of playing on the big courts. And someone was saying on Twitter, and I agree with this, it does feel like she has unfinished business from the Australian Open, and she is going for that. Now, with that said, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. uh, No, 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 because I've got a comparison for you, a cross-sport comparison that I think you'll like, but please finish your point. I was just going to say, now, she has to play Sabalenka, who she has not done well in the past um, Mm -hmm. against. I believe it's like 0-3 or 0-4 is the head-to-head. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But there's just – it's hard not to think that she's just going to find a way. Yeah. So I'm going to tweet this out as soon as we're done with the podcast, or I may have to do it during as we go, David. But you know who the best comparison is for Danielle Collins? It's an NBA player. I want to see if you can guess it. Who? What Um, NBA player do you think I'm going to compare Danielle Collins to? Oh, man. That – you're putting me on the spot here. Uh, how about um, her? I think you're going to like this. Intensity and. Yes, intensity. That's exactly the word you got to think uh, about. Lance Stevenson? Hits above her weight. Lance Stevenson. Get out of here, David. Come on. Well, I mean, I'm not, but I'm just thinking about how he used to blow in LeBron's no, ears. That's, it's, it's, no, wait, who'd you just say? You know, how, remember how he used oh, yeah. to no, uh, I thought you th- LeBron's Of ear, course, you know? I thought you threw a second name out there. It's Jimmy Butler. She is oh. the Jimmy Butler of the WTA Tour. And you think about how Jimmy Butler – we're talking basketball here. I apologize, folks. This is why it's great to have David back. Uh, the way he hits above his weight class. The way – does he have elite, elite talent the way a LeBron does, the way a Curry does, the way a Doncic does? No, he's not one of those transcendent talents. But the guy is just a workhorse who is not afraid of afraid of anyone well, and is going to talk shit against everyone. What about and, Draymond Green? Uh, that's one that – That's not a horrible – I mean, Draymond Green and Jimmy Butler are cut from the same cloth, right, of, yeah. guy, of you know players who just work their tail off and, again, wear that work ethic on their sleeve – That's Danielle Collins, right? Like, she's in the Jimmy Butler. I think her Australian Open run is the equivalent of Jimmy Butler dragging the heat to the 2020 final. Like, lock that in. That would be my cross-sport comparison there. Is it worth a tweet, David? Do I tweet this out to the people or will no one get it? Um, You can try. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, good. But it has the David Gertler stamp of approval. Uh, you know, I, I can see it. And I now, you know, now that I'm thinking of more, you know, like current players, it's like Draymond Green, Jose Alvarado from Pelicans, you know, those types of <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. No, um, oh my God. Who's the Pelicans player? He's like a wing. He's kind of like a stretch for, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Jackson, you're not thinking Jackson Hayes, are you? No, Jackson Hayes is a uh, five. Um, I'm blanking out his name. I'll look it up as we go. He's hilarious. Guy just works his tail off. Um, but he, he and, might. go ahead. No, no, I was because uh, the one the one who works is known for working his tail off is that Jose Alvarado. Yeah, but you're not thinking of him because no, he's I'm not thinking um, of him. But it, either way, we will get. Oh, Herb Jones. I'm thinking of Herb oh, Jones. Oh yeah, yeah, that's who I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, he's a great. Totally off track, but he is uh, my favorite on the team because of his – I'm always a defense guy, and yeah. he uh, you know, prides himself on defense. Higher uh, upside, Herb Jones or Juan Manuel Sarundolo? Uh Herb Jones, not even I, close. I actually think I agree with you. And <laughs> shout out to any podcast listener who understands that. Um, look, to your point, though – with all due respect to Danielle, Jimmy Butler, Collins, you're right. Like, Arena Sabalenka is the sort of matchup that's just a tough one for her because A, Sabalenka's got the sort of weapons that just can take time away from Collins, and B, it doesn't matter what, you know, Danielle Collins, I don't want to say her antics because I don't like the connotation of the word antics, but Danielle Collins, the energy she plays with on court. It you just doesn't. Antics, though. You know, no, it, I just uh, it just doesn't affect Arena Sabalenka because Sabalenka is just like, look, I'm gonna do my thing, and like credit to you if you do anything on the other side of the court. But I'm Arena Sabalenka, and I do my thing, and so I'm fascinated by that matchup. We are completely off track, though. We did get a good yes. big picture look at the women's <laughs> draw. No, no, no. This is we haven't had time to do this, and so my final question to you on the women's side. Because I think Iga's going to win the tournament. She was my pick to make the wow. final before, as I you don't, know. You feel that, like no, even so, after seeing her struggle against uh, against uh, Davis in the second set, and even you know seeing how well Garcia and Coco are both playing. Well, so that's my conversation I wanted to have with you. Here's the thing. Iga's playing bad right now, isn't she? Like, her forehand sprang on her. It sprayed yeah. against Davis. She hasn't had a single match where her she's hit more winners than unforced errors. Now, despite that, she's still winning in straight sets. And to see her rely on the physicality, to see her backhand always work, to see her get more comfortable as a volleyer, big picture – I actually think this has been a big U.S. Open for Iga in that she's playing poorly and yet she's still winning comfortably and giving herself time to find her rhythm. I am fascinated by this Niemeyer match because Niemeyer has weapons to make Iga uncomfortable. Niemeyer's backhand is just going to be able to hang in ways these earlier opponents have not been able to. That said, Iga's not playing her best. But is anyone on the top half of the draw, are you A, confident enough in them, or B, thinking they're playing well enough to definitively beat Iga before the final? Yeah. Yes. Pliskova, I think, is. Interesting. All right. We'll yeah. move on after, but make the case. I just think that she did not serve well against uh, Benchich at all. Ben, That was partially because of Bench, was Benchich was really being aggressive on return. But it goes to show how great her baseline and return game was that 
she, you know, we always think of Pusco as this big server, you know, serve bot, uh, Pusco bot. Uh, <laughs> but uh, her baseline game miles better than it was a couple months ago. And I really think that if she can just, you know, get her serve a little bit more back on track, she can absolutely beat uh, Sviatek in the, uh, would it be quarterfinals or semis? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think semis would be when those two would play. Now, she has a tough road. Uh, yeah. And then I also think that Danielle Collins, if she makes it there. Um, it means she's playing it, well. It, not, right. If she can beat Sabalenka and make the, uh, would, would that one be, uh, that would be the semi. I guess it would depend. It would be the winner of Pliskova Collins theoretically would play her in the semis. I think the winner of that match beats Sviatek if Sviatek makes there. Yeah. Makes it there. So they, they're definitely the sort of power tennis players. And I think I picked Sabalenka to make the semifinals before the tournament started. So I would just like to give a shout out to me for riding with hey, Team Sabalenka. Yeah, look, you get a lot wrong. But every so often, you got to give a shout out to yourself, David. Um, you're right. All four players, Azarenka, Pliskova, Collins, who we saw beat Iga in the Australian Open semifinals, albeit it feels like a lifetime ago, and Sabalenka are all the sort of power players that certainly can give Iga some fits. Even Kvitova in the quarterfinals, Niemeyer in round four, you know, tough matchups. That said, you just feel like, hey, if Iga gets through that sled of players, now she is playing well. And... Mm -hmm. I mean, we all saw that French Open final matchup. But even if Goff plays her closer, it's a tough freaking matchup for Coco. You know, Tomjanovic, all due respect, not afraid of that one. Jabour is interesting. Garcia's interesting. Garcia would be – you don't think Garcia would rush her, uh, you know, and overpower her a little bit? You know, like almost like Kanepi or – uh, Collins in Australia. You don't think that would... No, you're right. I think Garcia... And I mean, we saw it in Warsaw. Garcia's beaten Iga as well. Yeah. So she has that going for her. And on a hard court, I think it even suits her that much more than on the clay. You're right. Of all the players I've seen in the women's draw, I think Garcia's the only one I can say is definitively going into that match. I'd probably pick her because she is so clearly playing better and her aggression just gives Iga problems. That said... That Iga has gotten to this point of the tournament relatively unscathed, not playing well, I just think that's dangerous because now she has three more matches under her belt, and if she starts to play well, again, only Garcia is playing definitively well enough in my mind that I'd be like, ooh, I'm I'm not sure if even Iga playing her best can beat this version of Garcia because of the aforementioned game style that you mentioned. Yeah, and Garcia has a huge test in in the quarterfinals against Goff. So it'll be you know, it'll be interesting to see if she can hit through Goff, and because Goff is defending incredibly well, mm-hmm. um, incredibly well, she's absorbing pace on the forehand, David. But I just feel like Zhang was close. Could have easily Zhang could have easily won in straight sets, but I just. It's hard, you know. You keep the proof. It's hard to deny what Car- what Caroline Garcia is doing anymore. Yeah. it's just really hard to pick against her at this point because it doesn't seem like you know Samsonova seemed last night to kind of eventually break down physically. Uh, and it doesn't feel like it feels like Garcia is still fresh as a daisy. 
Was that the saying? Fresh as a daisy. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a saying. By the way, just because I know you'll appreciate this, and for our listeners, a little trick for them, party trick. And I, I said this in trivia about Isla Tomjanovic. When you're at the bar someday with your friends, and it's like, who beat Serena Williams in her final match of her career? And everyone looks at you as the tennis knowledge you know the tennis friend in the group and they're like shouldn't you know this and you're like not only do i know this answer i'm going to pronounce it correctly it's isla not alia it's isla tomjanovich yeah the same way just so you know caroline garcia just a a fun fun fact for yeah you emphasize the lean as she's as you know she is in such incredible shape now she's leaned out it's caroline garcia um just a fun fact for you but leaned out okay that's yes but we are also i mean this is not how i anticipated today's mini break going but i like the rhythm that we're no 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 i say that in the best way david that's not a diss that's this went even better than I anticipated because we did have the chance to look big picture. And I want to do something similar on the men's side now while also weaving in some of the results we saw on day number seven. And again, day seven, fourth round, first half of action. We'll get more into the mechanics of some of the women's wins uh, when we get back to that side of the draw. But looking at the men's side, David, 12 players remaining, 10 of the 12 have yet to win a Grand Slam title in their career. Now, obviously, the two that half, Rafael Nadal, who's won two of the years, three majors played, and hasn't looked great, but is into another second week of a slam. And we've seen this script play out how many times during this 2022 uh, season? Of course, you've also got Marin Cilic, who, by the way, made the fourth round of all three majors that he played this season. Semifinals Very at the quiet. French Open. Yeah, 2014 U.S. Open champ. Chilich is not, you know, played pretty good ball against Dan Evans as well. Maybe there still are some Chilich believers out there. But the question I ask you, David, as we look at this men's singles draw, again, 10 of the 12 players, no slam titles in their career. Will we be crowning a maiden champ? Oh, someone, uh, someone asked me that, uh, very recently. I, and I, it was so hard to, or not that, but something similar. And I was just thinking, who do I have winning at this point? And maybe this is a little out of left field. No, it's, I don't think it's not out of left field, but it's maybe someone that is weirdly may fall under the radar more than he should be. But Alcaraz is my pick right now. Um, mm, I like it. I like it. Make the case. Now, at the same time, if it's Sinner Alcaraz in the in the uh, quarterfinals, we know how that matchup has gone recently. Um, but I just feel like Alcaraz, the Brooksby match for Alcaraz was a big test for me because I was wondering, is he going to stay in control of his ground strokes or is Brooksby going to force him into you know, a thousand unforced errors and hit himself out the match. And he was really in control of himself. He seems focused. He's in very, he seems like he's in very good form. Uh, he has not dropped a set yet. Uh, obviously his draw in the first two rounds, Baez retired um, and Correa put up a good fight in the third set, but was out overmatched. I just feel like Maybe it's his time and it's hard to say it really is because the obvious answer right now is curious. Um, but it's so hard to, or Nadal. Nadal is not playing that well at all. As you mentioned, um, he dropped the first set to Fognini looked horrible. Um, and then was able to come back and curious is playing really well, but 
do you trust him in the later stages of majors still? I mean, he's, he got the walkover in the semifinals of Wimbledon and lost the final. Um, Tachinov in the quarterfinals is a very winnable match. Um, and then Baird, you know, but I don't think a semifinal, a semifinal over Berrettini is necessarily a done deal either. Um, I think it'd be close and it could come down to some tie breaks. And I don't, I just don't know if I still trust him mentally yet. Um, and so who is the best combination right now for me of mental strength and good form? And for me, that's Alcaraz. Yeah, I, I agree with the sentiment that boy, was he freaking impressive against Jensen Brooksby. Jensen just couldn't hurt him. And even when Jensen went up early in set number three, what was most impressive is that Alcaraz didn't throw the set away. He just buckled down and said, you know what? The errors are going away. I'm going to wait three more balls for my opportunity because I don't think you can hit a ball by me. And Jensen couldn't. And I think Jensen's gotten better. I think the serve's gotten faster. I think his forehand has turned into more of a weapon than it was. Definitely. And yet there's just an elite degree of physicality, of discipline, of execution from Carlos Alcaraz in in that third round. He was so impressive. You're absolutely right. The Chilich matchup is fascinating because Chilich does have the sort of weapons and the mentality. What I love about this version of Marin Chilich, and you just wish he had this when he was 26 years old, is now he's just like, I'm going for it. And if I miss swinging, I don't really care because at this point in my career, I've won a major. I've done all these things I need to do. I've got enough money saved up. Like I am just out here to grind and, and because I thoroughly enjoy the sport. And you can see and feel that joy in just the 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 freeness with which Marin Cilich now plays, right? He just it's on his terms. He's right. gonna go big early in the rally, and if he misses, he's just like, yeah, whatever, I missed. But like, you can see the joy he gets in winning matches now and just staying relevant because he really is. I mean, he's still top twenty good, and you look at the numbers, he's still holding serve above his career averages, which speaks to how much more efficient he's gotten at this stage of his career. Um, it's an interesting matchup because he has some weapons to make. You know, he's going to go down swinging, which you have to do against Carlos Alcaraz. At the same time, boy, like, does Chilich have it in him to track down those Alcaraz cross-court forehands and drop shot combinations for three-plus hours? I don't know if the answer to that question is yes. I'm just praying the gods give us the Sinner-Alcaraz quarterfinal we deserve because Sinner looks so good, David, for the final hour and a half against Nakashima. Like, both of these guys are just ready. And the crazy number, you know, Alcaraz is 47-9 and overall on the season, which is nuts. Sinner's 41-11, and David. Like, he's 37-3 and against opponents ranked outside the top 20. These two kids are doing everything they're supposed to do. And while Sinner doesn't have the signature run that an Alcaraz does, he doesn't have the Miami title, he doesn't have that Masters 1000 Yes, he made the Miami final, but, you know, he's got to get win that title run, that signature defining uh, moment for Sinner. That said, quarterfinals Wimbledon, quarterfinals Australian Open, you know, round of 16 French Open before he has to retire with injury. The list of players to make round four or further at all four slams this year. Sinner, Alcaraz, Rafa. I mean... Come on now, now, David. That's yeah, a pretty freaking good list to be on. It should well, 
it should be Djokovic too, but uh, you no, know, for sure. But he's uh, only yeah. able to play, yeah. you know, two of them. Yeah. So, but no, that is very impressive. Um, she, and he is clearly comfortable playing against Alcaraz too. Um, yeah. Across multiple surfaces, as we've seen. Um, so I, that would be an interesting, that would be a mental hurdle for Alcaraz too, you know, to get over that hump, you know, that he's recently failed to get over. And I think that if he can get over that hump, he can absolutely beat Nadal in the semis because like we've seen Nadal has, you know, against Hiji, you know, losing a set to Hijikata, losing a set to Bagnini. There's just not that consistent high level of play from Rafa that we're used to. Um, I just don't think he's serving very well. And I'm fascinated because Francis Tiafo, his opponent on Monday, is returning extraordinarily well. And Francis has the backhand and the athleticism to at least make life uncomfortable for Rafa. Now, Rafa hitting heavy tops into the Francis forehand gives all American tennis fans nightmares. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But, man, I'm excited. For, I think Francis gets at least a set. Like, I think Francis I is going to push Rafa on Monday. I totally agree. I think that uh, he's going to play to the crowd, too. He's such a great, uh, you know, he's so great about getting the crowd on his side. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that he's going to really pump up the crowd, too. And, hey, what about I – don't, I don't think we've discussed this. How about – Tiafa's first set comeback against Schwartzman. That was really impressive stuff. And then he just put the pedal to the metal and won that match in straight sets. Uh, Cause that was looking like it was going to be a, a long grind fest if Francis wanted to win that. And he just stayed so mentally tough. I believe the shot he hit at seven all in the tie break. Did you, did you see that shot? Diego uh, couldn't hurt him. It was yeah. unbelievable, David. And just again, he he clearly from the beginning of the match, not only did he come up with the on the run magic that you're referring to, but just like a, a coherent and consistent plan of you're coming forward to the net as frequently as possible. And if Diego makes, you know, passing shot magic, so be it. Clap your racket. The guy's too good. But make him do that because right. I, we don't think the bet we're making is that he can't for three plus hours and he couldn't. And like. I was so impressed, and that would be why, if you're asking me to go big, you know, big picture here, full circle, am I taking Rafa? Am I taking the field? Why I'm taking the field is that there are enough guys playing well enough right now that, man, like, it's going to be tough sledding for Rafa. I think Francis is playing really well right now. I thought Rublev played great against Shapovalov. I think Cam Norrie hasn't made an unforced error yet this week in New York. And we already talked about Alcaraz, Sinner, Chilich. Now, if Rafa was somehow to get Ivashka in a semifinal, yeah, that's a little bit more of a blessing. If Rafa were to get Casper Ruud in the final, yeah, that's a blessing because that's the perfect matchup for him. Ditto with Matteo Berrettini, although... That Berrettini serve. Uh, Matteo Berrettini's not. Pl- so with that in mind, that I guess looking at the bottom half is I think, you know, six of the other seven players, all due respect to Ilya Vashka, who is playing well right now. But I legitimately think six of the other seven players are playing well enough to beat Rafa right now. I guess I that agree. would be my big picture well, thing. And that's why that- I would take the field. Okay. Oh, five I of the that- seven. Maybe not Rublev. I would say two of the seven. Alcaraz, yes. And Sinner. And Sinner. What about Nori? No. No, not a shy. There's nothing that Cam Nori can do that can hurt Rafa. Fair, 
But don't you think Nori could also put enough dents in Rafa physically that then the next opponent gets him? Theoretically, but I can't even see him winning two sets. To be honest, I'm just being honest. I don't want to. No, you know, it's fair. I mean, Rafa. I just don't see where does Nori. How does Nori win points? Spreads the court well. Isn't afraid to go forehand to forehand. Isn't afraid to go backhand to backhand. But who has the better? Who has the better forehand and who has the better backhand? Yeah, you would say Rafa. I at the same time, who executes better on a given day? I think Nori's been serving better than Rafa has so far in this tournament. True. Fair. Uh, yeah, I just you know, but I, I I see I see what you're saying. You think Rublev too? <sighs> no, Rublev's a little tougher, just because mentally, I just don't know if he could do it for four hours I, without like blowing up. I could see, you know, I said too. I could see, you know, let's just say theoretically, Chilich. It's Chilich. I could see if Chilich is having the 2014 U.S. Open. That's what I'm saying. Where if Chilich uh-huh. is just closing his eyes and swinging, and you hear a lot of dales yeah. on the day, like. I could see it. I, it's yeah. not outside of now. Rafa's made a living beating people like Marin Cilic. I mean, that's why he's Rafa freaking it all. I'm just saying it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yes. I agree. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, let's talk about the top half of the draw on the men's side, and in particular, let's talk about the guy who would have been perceived as the biggest threat to ra- knock out Rafael Nadal, top seed and world number one, Daniil Medvedev, who was my pick to win the tournament entering the event. I believe he was your pick as well, David, entering the tournament. He's been eliminated by Nick Kyrgios, the number 23 seed, earning a second victory over Medvedev in this hardcourt summer. Kyrgios, a 7-6-3-6-6-3-6-2 win over the number one seed. David, you look at the stats from this match, Kyrgios was locked in. 21 aces, make 71% of his first serves, win 75% of those points, 53 winners against 38 unforced errors, 29 of 47 at the net. I mean, the biggest thing was, and obviously you can start with the first set breaker, which for Kyrgios to take it in the 13-11 fashion that he did. By a millimeter. Yeah, you just felt like Kyrgios needed that first set a little bit more than Daniil Medvedev did at the same time. It sort of set the tone for everything else because even in taking that second set, Medvedev was up 5-1. He saw that lead evaporate and look... As, as impressive as on paper, Medvedev hitting 22 aces sound, Nick Kyrgios put a ton of returns in play, David. And I do think big picture looking at Nick Kyrgios, who again, 35-9 and nine overall on the year. He wins the City Open title. He reaches the Wimbledon final. He's holding serve over 93% of the time, which is number one on the ATP Tour this season. We know about the serve. We know about the plus one forehand, the ability to move forward. But I harp back to his ability to make returns and play defense yesterday. I just think this is the most fit we have ever seen Nick Kyrgios in his career. And how could he For not now, be? He's yeah. played 40, you know, he's played over 40 matches this season. He's played over 30 of them in a three-month stretch. We finally know what Nick Kyrgios looks like when he's fit on a tennis court. And the answer to that question is he looks like one of the five best tennis players in the world. I mean, he didn't just beat Daniil Medvedev yesterday. He was the better player. Yeah, and if you look at their serving stats, you see that they both have 75% first serves one, and they're both in the mid-40s for second serves one. But here's the difference. This Kyrgios made 71% of his first serves, whereas 
Medvedev only made 59%. So to be able to serve that well with that, you know, 21 aces serving 71% first serves in winning 75% of your first serve points. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And you're right. His baseline game, he's more willing to grind nowadays compared to in the past where he, the rally went a little long. He'd try a trick shot or he'd just, you know, slap at the ball. Mm-hmm. So I definitely noticed that too. And he's definitely more comfortable. Uh, he definitely just looks more He's still having his outburst. You know, I know during the Bonzi match, he spit, you know, spit in the direction, but he definitely just seems a little more calm. He was screaming at his box last night, but that, I, I just feel like he's more locked in than he, than he has been in the past. Well, I think the big thing is that even when he gets frustrated, it, it doesn't seem to carry over into the next point yes. right now. Like even when it, he did get frustrated at the start of that second set against Daniil Medvedev and it looked like, okay, is he tanking this second set? It was like, well, actually, now I'm going to get one of the breaks back. I'm going to hold. I'm going to put the pressure on Medvedev to sort of you know force him to come up with the goods because he can't really right now. And to your point, a couple of things. A, I agree. I thought Kyrgios played Medvedev even on the backhands. And in particular, Kyrgios' ability to turn things up on that backhand wing and really pressure Medvedev, whether it was playing that ball down the line, whether it was just being more successful when trying to execute the drop shot. Kyrgios could do more things than Daniil Medvedev yesterday. I also thought Kyrgios was just so clearly more comfortable creating from the center of the court. And for Daniil Medvedev, I mean... Again, that third set, he sort of just blinked. Like he played one bad service game where he was up 40-15, I believe, in the service game. He misses a couple of plus one forehands, and all of a sudden it's deuce. Kyrgios comes up with a big return. It's add out, and now all of a sudden Kyrgios has the break after another big return. And like, again, I just think... And this is crazy to say because when you think Daniil Medvedev, you think about one of the most efficient, like just not going to beat himself players on tour... Kyrgios was the more efficient player yesterday. Kyrgios made fewer unforced errors in the biggest moments. Now, Medvedev only had 19 unforced errors, but, you know, you you talked about the first serve percentage. Kyrgios was better at that controllable. It just felt like, you know, again, approaching the net. Kyrgios 29 of 47 to Medvedev's 10 of 17. Nick was a little bit more in command. It felt like the match was played at Kyrgios' speed, not Medvedev's. Which, for the world number one, I mean, big picture. I do think the book is out on how to play Medvedev. And you have to be really freaking good if you're going to pull it off. But you got to hit the big serve. You have to serve in volley to take advantage of his court positioning. And then you have to force him to create from the center of the court. Now, to ask someone to have an elite first serve, elite physicality, and be able to force Medvedev to create— well, that player is going to be top 10 in the world. Well, Nick Kyrgios could do all of those things. And that's why when, again, you ask the big picture question, what does Nick Kyrgios look like in his prime? We now know the answer, David. And it's one of the 10 best players in the world. And he's so fearless too. During that uh, first set tie break, the drop, he hit a couple, I believe he had a couple, but there was one in particular, just this perfect drop shot under so much pressure. And it's just like, unbelievable that he a has the balls to play that and b play hits it perfect yeah do you know what you know the shot i'm thinking of no like, you're a hundred percent correct david and then it's that level of unpredicted because you wouldn't expect you would expect 
you wouldn't expect that in that moment necessarily in that tense moment. To, and he just has this level of, you just never know what's coming next too with him um, in terms of like his shot selection that can keep opponents totally on their heels. And in terms of, you know, is he going to have an outburst? Is he going to tank? You know, there's just this unpredictability that I think throws some uh, opponents off. You know, I, you're absolutely right. I also think, again, with this degree of physicality he's able to play with, you get to see the defensive skills that have always been there. But, like, he's fine grinding on that backhand wing. They played some longer physical points in that first set in particular. But then it's just like, all right, you think you have me down 15-40? Don't worry. I'm going to crank out two big serves or I'm going to, you know, come up with these easy plus ones. And, again, even without offering points at Wimbledon, Kyrgios is 18th in the live rankings. He's 17th in the points race this season. You throw in the Wimbledon numbers, he would be a top 10 player in both the rankings and the points race this year. Deservingly so. And that's without a clay court season, David. And I recall a couple months ago, we had this conversation where I was bringing up his numbers and you're like, yeah, but he didn't play on the clay. Well, I think now we both would agree, right? You can throw that out because it doesn't matter. Like when he's played, he has looked elite. And he's done it for nine months now. Yes, off of his least favorite surface, but yes. Yeah, um, but but guess what? If he's not going to play his least favorite surface, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're right. That is true. Fair. Yeah. And um, so, so again, with that in mind, Kyrgios advances to the quarterfinals, and you look for him now. It's his second quarterfinal, obviously, at the major this season. Kyrgios shooting up the odds, shooting up the, uh, excuse me, the tennis abstract singles forecast. He's now up to 15.1%, giving him the third best odds. They have Alcaraz 23.1, Rafa 16.7, then Kyrgios with 15.1. He takes pretty much all of Daniil Medvedev's percentage points. Let's flip gears quickly on Medvedev. Loses to Tsitsipas, two losses to Kyrgios. Obviously, his most disappointing hardcourt summer probably since 2018 because the last three years have all been so exceptional. Are you concerned at all about Daniil Medvedev? Is the book out on him or is it just, you know, again, he lost twice to Kyrgios playing some of the best tennis of his career and a really informed Stefano Tsitsipas in Cincinnati. Do you have any concerns about Medvedev coming off of this season? Um, It's hard to say because he was – so close to winning the U.S. I mean, the Australian Open, like he was incredibly close. He clay is his least favorite surface and he played it unlike curious and he didn't do that great. Uh, Chilich was a pretty embarrassing loss in the French Open. Then he couldn't play Wimbledon. And then he's coming onto the U.S. hardcore swing, having, you know, a lack of maybe match play that he's had in the past. It's much more start stop. Uh, and he didn't perform as well. You're right. He lost, he lost to curios in Cincinnati. The Sipsy pass loss, I think was the most concerning just because that is a good matchup for him versus curious, not being a good matchup. And he just kind of went away after, I believe it was the same deal as you, you were saying in the second set of the curios match, how, Five five one up to five three, and then we saw how he went away after that. It was the same in uh, with Sitsipas in Cincinnati, where he, in the second set, I believe he was break point maybe to go five zero up, and then um, he 
Sitsipas got it back a little bit and then rode that momentum in the third set. You know what? You remember what I'm talking about there? Yeah, I, I mean, I think when you look for Medvedev, and again, looking big picture here at the numbers, the, the serve is here to stay. And you look for Daniil Medvedev, certainly percentage-wise, he's holding 86.6% of the time, which is 3% above his career average, a little lower than last season, but you know, still an, an elite top 10 number. That serve is real. The big thing is the break percentage, which had been flirting. You know, he's been a top 10 guy over the past three seasons, 27 to 31% range, which is elite of the elite. It's fallen to 24.5 this season. And part of that is injury. But I think part of the thing is, again, people have sort of figured out how to deal with his return positioning. And it's like, all right, if you're going to be 12 feet behind the baseline, I have to serve in volley. I have to move forward. And even when Medvedev comes up with the exquisite passing shots he's capable of doing, it's just like being forced to have to duplicate that for two hours has proven a little tougher this year. And he's still really good at it. But like, to do it at the level that he has to do it at an elite level, I, I just think, again, the very best of the best in the world have sort of figured out some ways to make him uncomfortable. So you're saying that you think, and I don't disagree with this, that you think he needs to become more aggressive with his return. I think return positioning-wise, he has to. And I know that's difficult with the forehand grip, but the backhand in particular, uh, like there's no reason he's not taking that ball on the rise more frequently. Okay. I mean, that's fair. And I, I agree. Yeah. I, I hate agreeing so much, but, no. uh, but that said, I mean, again, it's definitely something I do think there is a playbook now to beat Daniil Medvedev, which is not something I would have been saying back in 2019 or even for now. Before. Yeah. For now. Well, it's fascinating to see now how he adjusts, but yeah, I mean, again, with Kyrgios, I think he's playing well enough to win the tournament. I, I really do. And uh, that was just a hell of a win for uh, for him against Medvedev. And again, it's the validating win. And to hear him talk about how validating it was in press, to hear him talk about how he was just sick of disappointing people, doesn't want to do that anymore. He's saying all the right things. Now, again, let's see how it manifests itself in the quarterfinals as he is going to take on Karen Hachinov. Hachinov, a five-set win over Pablo Carreño Busta. You know, it's just the third quarterfinal for Karen Hatchnov at the majors in his career. That number feels a little bit low considering I think that was his eighth or ninth fourth round at the majors. And it does feel like Hatchnov's a guy who's always in the mix. That said, I said this on our preview show. He was a plus 110 underdog. And I never like Karen Hatchnov as a favorite. I always like him as an underdog. Again, I... If you watch him for the right five minutes, David, you're going to think this guy's going to be a top 10 player in the world. Like he's got the size, he's got the serve, he's got the forehand. Then you're going to watch him for five minutes and you're going to ask, has he ever made a plus one ball in his life? Like the problem with Hatchnov is there are unequivocally, you know, there's one game in every set where just the floor falls out from beneath him and you're going to get a sloppy game. But man, I still just see the rubric and the framework of what could be a top 10 player. Like, I'm still so enticed by Hatchinov. Where are you? Yeah, I mean, well, we thought, I think it was 2018 Paris uh, when he beat Djokovic in the yep. final. I, we thought, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I thought that was going to be a springboard. Yeah, hasn't won a title since. Yeah, you did. And so, in that sense, he's been a little bit disappointing. But you're right in terms of how... There's times when that serve, when he's hitting, when he's making his first serves, and when he's getting those short balls and pummeling his forehand, 
where you're like, how is this guy not top five in the world? But then there's other times when you see his backhand and it's spraying everywhere and he's missing his first serves. And sometimes the second serve can sit up in the box a little bit where it's like, okay, that's why. Um, And do I expect him to be curious in the uh, quarterfinals? Absolutely not. Hmm. Uh, or is that a... No, no. I, why it's funny, I just, I, I always like the definitiveness of your absolutely not. Well, that's, uh, well, given uh, how some of my picks have gone, maybe that's uh, put every set you have on catching off. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I just don't see any way. How do you see... Curios, I mean, catching up, hurting Curios. Is it getting him to a tiebreak? And then well, they've played two really close matches in their career. I think a lot of us remember the Cincinnati match where Curios storms off the court for a moment and you know destroys some rackets. There's a major outburst back in 2019. Hatched off six seven seven six six two win there. Of course, Curios wins at the 2020 Australian Open. Was a five set thriller six two seven six six seven six seven seven six. Yeah, I just think Hatchinoff can keep pace. The serve, the this forehand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, the serve and the forehand are going to have success against Nick if he executes it well. Because, you know, again, you put Nick under pressure with pace. Yes, he is, has good defensive skills. They can actually look elite. They have looked elite, particularly of late. But I still like the idea of putting Kyrgios under pressure and still being able to play on your terms and kind of ignore what Nick is doing on your side of the net. That said, you're absolutely right. At this stage, Nick Kyrgios is probably better at everything than Karen Hatchinov on a tennis court. I mean, is there any category when you look at the nuances where you would take Hatchinov? Maybe still physically three out of five sets. Yeah. yeah. But but like that's probably it. And I don't think the disparity between the two physically is big enough to make up for the gap in skills. So no, of course I still lean curious. But again, this is when Hatchinov seems to be at his most dangerous. When he's the underdog, swinging freely, I thought he did a really good job with his plus one forehand, and you look for Hatchnov, won 78% of his first serve points, faced only two break points in his five-set win against Carreño Busta, 43 winners against 32 unforced errors, covered three miles of courts in sprints, which is just freaking crazy if you think about it. I thought Hatchnov looked good yesterday. I thought, and again, the Draper match was disgusting. For so many different reasons, obviously it ended with an injury, but Hatchinoff should have won that match in straight sets and didn't regardless of the injury. But then he made up for it yesterday. And after dropping the fourth set, could have let that get to him. Oh. He didn't. And he escaped Brandon with a five-set win. It was not 100% healthy, I don't think. Uh, well, you could tell he was also hobbled by the end of the Demon Hour match as well. But credit yeah. to, to Hatchinoff, who, you know, I've seen him, and I always think back to the 2019 Indian Wells, where a cramping Nadal, a set and a breakdown, ended up beating Hatchinoff. Like, he, I've seen him lose that match a million times. Yeah. And to his credit, fair. he did not yesterday. That's fair. Yeah, no, that's right. And sometimes it is hard. We see, we saw at Wimbledon with Taylor Fritz how hard it is sometimes to play an injured opponent or yeah. an opponent that you know, is taking medical timeouts and all that. So I think that it's not easy. And I did, do think he held his nerve, especially when someone like Karen Obusta, uh, we remember in uh, the 2020 U.S. Open when he pulled the uh, rope-a-dope on uh, Shapovalov in the fourth set, you know, where 
he looked like he was done physically, and then he came out of the gates firing. Do you remember that match? Um, yeah, no, so, absolutely. So to keep his concentration and not uh, let Corinna Busta get in his head at all, I think it was a good win. It was a very good win, and you're right. He he does. I I won't I won't be totally definitive about that quarterfinal. I do. He has a shot. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, according to Tennis Abstract, Curio, 71.2% favorite. All right, to quickly finish up this men's side here, Matteo Berrettini, five-set win over Davidovich Fokina. In my opinion, outside of the Murray match, Berrettini has not looked good in this major. Now, he's into another quarterfinal, and Berrettini's last four losses at the majors, Nadal, Djokovic, Djokovic, Djokovic. So let's be clear. Matteo Berrettini has now made a living off of beating everyone he's supposed to beat at the slams. And you got to respect that because you can't win a slam in week number one, but you can certainly lose it. And Matteo Berrettini never seems to lose it in those opening weeks. That said, he's returning like sh- right now. Like, David, he's just refusing to step Tell up and hit the really forehand feel. big. <laughs> no, it's just like, it really is. It's, it's crazy to see how good his serve and his forehand really are and how they just carry it put him in position to compete in every match because I just don't think Matteo Berrettini has played well I'm curious what you feel no I totally agree with that I mean he served it well yesterday he only made 54 percent of his first serves but when they're going in he won 84 percent of those points but you're right I don't think that he's returning well at all he only won 36 percent of his return points yesterday and I think that his backhand hasn't looked great. He's been a little more erratic. He hit 47 unforced errors yesterday. I just, it's been, it's been a little more streaky than maybe I'm used to with him. Um, and he has now went three straight matches without losing a set in each one. Um, so it's been a little streaky, a little less, uh, the backhand hasn't held up as well. Return hasn't held up very well, but at the end of the day, like you said, He's won a, you, he hasn't lost the tournament for himself. He's put himself in a position where I don't think Casper Root is playing, his quarterfinal opponent Root is playing very well either. He should definitely have not lost that third set to Mute yesterday. I think that Root, I mean, I think that he was kind of lucky to beat Tommy Paul. He struggled against Van Reethoven. And so for me, he has still has the ability to play himself into form before a potential Curio semifinal, but I totally agree with you that his level needs to improve in order for him to win that type of match. Yeah, it's it's really, really interesting. I mean, again, Berrettini's just not hitting the bat. I mean, he's just not stepping up on and trying to go after the forehand on the return of serve. I just think his backhand is spraying all over the place. Even the slice, he sort of lost some rhythm on. Now he's still moving forward, still putting so much pressure on opponents, which, again, with his serve, his forehand, he's just going to be in every match that he faces, uh, every that he plays. That said... I mean, it's an interesting matchup against Casper Ruud because the Berrettini served the Ruud backhand is certainly going to give Casper some issues. That said, Casper's ability to, you know, pull Berrettini around the court with his forehand, spread the court so well, his kick serve in particular should give Ruud, uh, Berrettini some difficulties. Yes, Casper dropped that third set against Quarantine Mute, but I thought he looked pretty good yesterday in bouncing back after that five set went over Tommy Paul. Yeah. I guess, sure, but Mute was a lucky, you know, not, not, Mute is a 
Yeah, but you, you got to face who's against the you, – you only face who you can, right? Like it's not yeah, his fault it, who ended up across from him. It, I mean it is, you know, true. But it, he did lose the third set, and I didn't think looked that great in the fourth set either, um, even though we won at 6-2. Uh, I thought it was well. He had break point. He had to save at least a break point. And it was definitely it. a little sloppy. It was a little sloppy, and um, I just don't think he's going to beat uh, Berrettini, even with Berrettini in this form. Um, especially given that the courts are playing a little quicker. Interesting. Um, yeah, but the thing is, Berrettini has not played inspiring tennis. Like, no, I, I, it's, definitely it, not. I, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that one. You also feel like for Berrettini, there's still some upside left in that he hasn't played his best tennis uh, so far at this event. With that said, I'll give you this second chance as we start week number two. Who are you taking? Give me your pick. Oh, Who God. wins the title? Oh, this is the ultimate curse. <laughs> the, on the both men or women or just men? Uh, we'll start with the men. I want to get back because I still have a few more questions on the women before I let you go. Okay, um, so I'll say I, I'm going to stick with Alcaraz, although the one match that scares me the most would not be Nadal Alcaraz. It's actually Sinner Alcaraz. I'm so hoping we get Sinner Alcaraz. It's my favorite rivalry right now in pro tennis. Yeah, yeah well, Carlos needs to turn things around because the past two matches, you know, past two matches. Yeah, but that Umag match was really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially the first set. That's uh, what I'm but, saying. So yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping we get to watch them play once again. But yes, that is where things stand on the men's side. Quickly on the women's to sort of finish off our conversation from earlier. How about Own Shabur? Like that was a really nice win. She was yeah. down, what, 5-2 in that opening set before coming back, earning the straight set victory over Kudermatova. And boy, is that a tough, you know, Kudermatova hadn't been broken going into the match to open up the lead, come out serving as hot as she did. She had a massive opportunity there, no doubt about it. But, I mean, again, we've talked about this. We talked about it in our women's preview, David. Jabur has been as consistent as anyone in the women's game, 42-13 and 13 overall this year, yeah. winning 76% of her matches. Really only has two bad losses. The loss to Lynette, first round three sets Roland Garros. The loss to Seville, first round three sets Indian Wells. And even both of those tough losses came in three sets. I mean, again, she is well, your definition of a you tier know, two content. She is the Matteo Berrettini of the women's game right I now. I guess it depends what you – and this is a little off track, sorry. But I guess no, please. I guess it depends what you think is a bad loss in terms of, I mean, cause I would say her Wimbledon final, given how she played in the first set was a pretty bad loss. Um, in that context of the fact that she was in total control. I would also say that uh, she played horribly against uh, Kuder Mentova and San Jose. Um, but yeah. So anyway, that's just an aside to get back to the point that you're making, which I do agree. She's been very, She's been just going about her business this tournament. She had 22 unforced errors in the first set against Shelby Rogers, but once she found her game, she Rogers could not hurt her. There was nothing, you know, that match was over as soon as Jabor found her game in that second set. Um, yeah. Mitova was one of the hottest players in the women's draw. Uh, she had ripped through her uh, first three opponents. They were all pretty weak opponents, but she still ripped through. And yeah, Jabor could have, uh, you know, went away when she was two, five down in that first set, but she managed to get it to a tie break and, you know, one, you know, race through it from there. Um, And so 
Yeah, I mean, with Jabor, she should beat Tomjanovic in the uh, quarterfinals, but Tomjanovic has been very consistent from the baseline. She's going to have to work hard for that one, and then I think that she would be, at least in my eyes, an underdog to whoever wins Goth Garcia, just because I feel like if we're looking at who's playing the best tennis in that half, it's Goth and Garcia. No, I I agree with you there. If if I was going to power rank who's available, who's still alive in that section, I would go Garcia, Goff, Shabur, Tamjanovic. Um, but again, credit to owns two power tennis players in Kudermatova and Shelby Rogers who have the sort of weapons to at least you know hit own Jabur out of her comfort zone or force her, you know, not allow her to get into her bag of tricks and credit to her, the first serve, the power of her first step, just again, her taking that return of serve a little bit earlier. She's been as solid as any play, you know, again, Iga's tier one this year. And then it's Pagula Jabur tier two, probably with Coco Goff thrown in there as well. It's just like, you know, they're going to be in the mix at every big event. And again, putting yourself in the mix is certainly half the battle. How about Goff and Garcia? I mean, again, they're now going to face off in the quarterfinals. We talked about it earlier. Caroline Garcia is just on another level right now, David. And I think even beyond the serve, the forehand, which are the obvious things, she's moving extraordinarily yeah. well also. she did, I mean, she blitzed Ali Risk yesterday, and what was it? And a, a, a pretty quick straight set victory. I want to say it was what four and one. It was four and one, and it was like it was close, and and then all of a sudden Garcia hit. And a then it wasn't year. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean I, I'm going to have an article coming in on this. I don't want to. I don't want to give away the whole article, but uh, where? Where can we read it? Uh, on on Action Network. That's what um, I like to hear. Go on. But I. Uh, yeah. I, well, it's I uh, hope hopefully I'm not jinxing whoever I picked to win. Um, but uh, anyways, yeah, now she's blitzing everyone. To be honest, it's not just risk. Uh, she blitzed Andriescu. She blitzed Kalinskaya. You know, Rocky Mova could in the first round nothing she could do. She's blitzing everyone. And now it's a it's a very interesting offense versus defense. But we saw how Zhang was close, so close to hitting through Goff. She just, in the crucial moments of both sets, Goff was a little mentally tougher, a little more steady. Um, but I think that, and then, you know, Zhang's backhand's better than her forehand. Garcia's forehand's better than her backhand. But I would just say, I just don't see anyone playing at the level that Garcia is playing at right now. And I just find, you know, she's serving so well. Um, she won... 75% of her first serve points against risk against Andriescu. She won 69%. She's serving very well. And then, and you know, Andriescu is a great returner. I just don't see, I don't see right now other than Garcia overhitting on her, you know, second serve returns and playing a match like she did against Bronzetti and Palermo. I just don't see the formula to beat her in this form. She's really playing, I think by far the, in terms of Cincinnati to now, the best tennis in the WTA tour. Yeah, I mean, uh, my thing is you look for Garcia. She does have the sort of weapons to make the Coco Golf forehand and make it a tough day for Coco. At the same time, did you see how well Coco handled the power of keys? Or just again well, yesterday against Shui, like 
it's going to be a good freaking match. Yeah. More than anything, I think three sets in that one. Like, because you just have to respect the golf serve. You have to respect her athleticism, the competitiveness, uh, just her ability to extend points. At the same time, you're right. Like, it's the definitiveness of the power tennis of Caroline Garcia that's so scary. It's that, like, she's just lining up and swinging, and there's nothing you can do about it as her opponent. Yeah. And that's, uh, just take the racket out of your opponent's hands. And she's been doing it now long enough where it just doesn't, I, for a while I was like, is this a flash in the pan type of situation? Sure. Because just because like we don't typically see opponents stand for second serves near the service line to return (laughs) and be able to pull that off consistently, but she's doing it often enough where I'm just like, you can't deny it any longer. She's, a major contender to win the title. I will say you mentioned Goss forehand. Her forehand looks looked great yesterday, I thought. Now, you did also mention the Keys match. I thought that Keys played terrible. Uh, and okay. so I think that the Zhang match was maybe close in terms of who was playing with the controlled aggression that Garcia will play with. I think Zhang was closer to that than Keys was, just because I felt like Keys just played a really poor match. Yeah, I... I- Fair. She definitely wasn't as good as she was against Georgie. Um, but Coco Goff made her play poorly because Goff just kept firing shot after shot. But with that said, my final question to you then. Are you taking Garcia to win the women's title? I obviously not before the tournament, but I have yeah, I I have to my eyes I have to go with what my eyes are telling me, and my eyes are saying to me that Garcia is going to win the title. And I think that she's also a great matchup against Viatek in terms of who the type of player that can give Ika problems in the, in a potential final. And Garcia is that type of player. It's not a bad thought to have David, certainly an understandable well, who, pick. Who are you? Who are your two picks? Uh, <sighs> I was hoping I was going to get out of here without having to offer that. Um, you almost did. And then I yeah, thought, I know I, I almost snuck out there. Um, <laughs> On the women's side, I'll stick with Iga just because, again, okay. with all the uncertainty, give me the surest thing of the 2022 season. On the men's side, am I really going to default to Rafa? Uh, I'd feel like such a loser if I did. I'm going to go with Sinner. I just I was really impressed with his last two sets. I thought they were Grand Slam winning good. I also feel like he has yet to play his best match in the tournament, which is good because there are some big names coming up for him. He'd have to get through probably Alcaraz, Nadal, then Kyrgios to get to a first Grand Slam title. I'll stick with Sinner just to be a little bit different, but Alcaraz is a good pick. I don't hate that one either. I mean, again, if you're asking me Rafa versus the field, I'll take the field, but I don't feel great about it. I I I would feel better about that just because I think if it's not Alcaraz or Sinner, it's going to be curious. I I don't think that it all wins this. I I just don't. It's going to be fascinating. I like I I will say more than anything else. I'm very excited to see where this tournament goes because I still think there's a full second act to it and it just hasn't even unfolded yet but of course we will be here on the mini break podcast to cover it all as that second act does indeed unfold and David for our listeners one more time what can they expect from you throughout the rest of this tournament um I'll probably be writing some for uh action network maybe some for last word on tennis I do want like I told you I think last time I do want to revitalize the blog at some point I just need 
a, uh, I just need some inspiration. You know, maybe right. that'll be the finals or something. To, no, I'll uh, text you. I've got some inspiration for you. I promise. I have. Uh, yeah. So, cause I always, uh, you know, on my blog, I can do whatever the hell I want, um, yeah. which is uh, always fun. Uh, and, uh, I remember, well, yeah. And it's always just interesting. Uh, the people that, you know, see what I, have I ever told you the story about how uh, CC Bellis's mom randomly started uh, going in on me on my blog post many years ago? You have. Uh, that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. So it's all it's it's me unfiltered. Uh, Good. So I'll, I'll do something. That's what we deserve. Um, David unfiltered is what the people want. But David, as I don't always, know what the people want. But yeah. <laughs> well, if nothing else, we want the opportunity to find out. But of course, David, it is always a pleasure to have the chance to chat with you. Appreciate you taking the time to help me recap day seven. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The pro Promo code is CR15. With that said, for our fantastic contributor, David Gertler, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here, our friends at Tennis Point, I should say, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. David, what do we tell our listeners? That's the break. And we will see you all next time. Thank you as always, my friend. Thank you so much, Alex, Daniel, and Tennis Point. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.